Yeah, no, sorry. I was on mute because when our when you talk, our tracks mix, basically. So, sorry. That's why I didn't react to anything you said. <laughs> hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a consultant living in Ukraine and London, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian turned freelance book indexer and proofreader, also working on a novel while raising two boys with my husband and making PB&Js by the dozen. We are so excited about today's guest, writer Manjula Martin. We've been big fans of hers for a long time, and her anthology Scratch about writers and money has always been a big influence on this podcast. She has been our dream guest since day one, and of course was top of our list for this season. Manjula is the editor of Scratch, Writers, Money, and the Art of Making a Living. Her writing has appeared in the Virginia Quarterly Review, Pacific Standard, Aeon Magazine, Hazlitt Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and The All, among other publications. Her next nonfiction book will be Fruit Trees for Every Garden, co-written with Oren Martin, forthcoming in fall 2019 from 10 Speed Press. She's also the managing editor of Zoetrope All Story, the National Magazine Award-winning fiction and art magazine published by Francis Ford Coppola. She has previously worked in varied editorial and writing capacities with book and magazine publishers, nonprofit organizations, and arts organizations. She lives in San Francisco, and you can find her online at manjulamartin.com. We talk in this interview about all of those projects just mentioned and day jobs, but also about following your interests and writing where they lead you, even if it's someplace completely different from where you've been before. And we talk about making commitments to creative projects. We had so much fun talking to her and hope you enjoy listening. Modula, thanks so much for joining us. And I guess if you could just start by telling us how you got interested in the whole topic and the kind of evolution that that took, that would be really interesting to hear about. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be talking with you. So I, you know, have always been a writer and I've always sort of been fascinated by the, I guess, the romance, the romantic ideal of the writing life as being sort of, you know, this pure thing and people are able to just write and do nothing else because that was never my reality as a person who has always had to have a job. And in about, gosh, I think it was 2011 now, I had taken a break from publishing and writing and I was working in the nonprofit world and I started publishing again, just, you know, like personal essays online mostly. And I started coming up against something that was confusing to me as a person who had done journalism back in the like 90s, which was that places would accept my pitch and then say, oh, actually, we don't pay. And I started chatting about it with other writers. And it was just something that I found to be really frustrating, kind of trying to get back into the business. The lack of transparency was really confusing to me. I was like, why is it that nobody knows anything about how this works? (laughs) And out of that, I ended up starting what at the time was a Tumblr, uh, although it then became its own website um, called Who Pays Writers. Who Pays Writers started just literally, I was like bitching about bad pay on Twitter with some other writers. And we were joking about how like we needed a list of who paid and who didn't. And I was like, well, I can make a list. (laughs) 
Um, so I popped off Twitter and like opened up a Tumblr account and made a list and then invited people to submit to it. I had intended for it to be anonymous, um, but someone like named me like the first day spreading the news on Twitter. So I was like, all right, it won't be anonymous. It'll just be me. But the idea was that other people could anonymously report in, you know, how much money they had made from out from different outlets. And I would just publish it. And that way they wouldn't fear retribution or anything like that because their names wouldn't be out there. And so that kind of took off more than I had expected. Um, it turned out that other people really wanted that info too. And from there, it sort of evolved into a topic that I've really sort of been focusing on and become somewhat expert in, which is this issue of sort of how writers navigate the money and business side of their jobs um, and how you sort of balance the writing life with the working life, um, which I know you guys are really interested in too. <laughs> so after Who Faced Writers, it became clear that the numbers were really great, but people wanted a little bit more context. Like people would ask me a lot for stories behind that information. And so I started an online magazine called Scratch at the time with Jane Friedman, who I know you've had on the show recently as well. We started it together. And that ran for, I think, a little under two years. Mm-hmm. And it was a mix of interviews and sort of features about, you know, being a writer and making a living. Um, and then from that, uh, we decided to close the magazine because it wasn't financially viable. <laughs> um, and somewhat ironically or not. And um <laughs> And I really wanted it to live on. I really sort of wanted a, a more permanent home than a website that might shut down for some of the stories and interviews from the book. So I ended up turning it into an anthology, also called Scratch, in which I it was some stuff from the magazine and then a bunch of stuff that I solicited just for the book. Um, interviews with uh, all types of authors, fiction and nonfiction, as well as personal essays. Um, so through that, I all of that, I sort of you know, interestingly, was able to sort of find a community of writers, um, all of whom were interested in the same discussions. And a lot of the relationships that I made doing those projects sort of have evolved into their own peer relationships. And it's been a pretty wonderful experience overall. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Scratch is actually, if we were to have a syllabus for this podcast, Scratch would be one of the required readings. So one of the textbooks. Um, Yay, I'm glad. <laughs> if, um, yeah, I was exactly going to say that, Megan. It's basically required reading for readers. So if you haven't read it already, we recommend it strongly. Thank you. Um, it's great to hear that because, as you may know, like, you know, when a book comes out, so the book came out in early 2017. And when a book comes out, it's like, you know, you're in the throes of publicity and everything is crazy and people are talking about it. And it's so exciting. And you're just like pushing it and, you know, doing interviews and stuff. And then, you know, particularly in, in the publishing world, it's like after six months, then it's like silence, crickets, you know, unless you happen to have a bestseller or something, which Scratch is not. Um, <laughs> so it's nice to hear that people are still talking about it and reading it because I really do think it like remains super relevant. It's not, it's not pinned to a particular time. Like I think it's something that folks, particularly folks sort of, struggling with these same issues can always appreciate as writers. 
Yeah, definitely. And we we did we actually we've had several requests from listeners to talk to you. So it it was nice to be able to think quietly in our heads. Oh, don't worry, we've already got that planned. So that's um, that's exciting. Yeah, one of the awesome things about the anthology that I was just thinking about since then, and it's very cool to see sort of like that community of contributors then going on and like rocking it in their own way. Like particularly uh, the journalist Sarah Smarsh comes to mind. She was in Scratch. She had an amazing essay in Scratch about like quitting her job in academia, even though she comes from a working class family and has no like financial sort of backup. And she just got nominated for a freaking National Book Award for her memoir. Yeah. <laughs> um, so awesome. And it's very cool to sort of, you know, see that like the class of Scratch sort of go on to just completely <laughs> rock it in the, in the last year or so. Yeah, I I really like that story. And I'm also just curious, maybe you can talk a little bit more about the class of Scratch or how you've seen, I have a million questions that come off of what you said, but we'll start with this one. Basically, from the class of Scratch, how you've seen people kind of grow and develop and kind of grapple with the money thing and what you think they and you have learned from all of those projects that you've done. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I say class of scratch, obviously, like I didn't discover most of these people that already had amazing (laughs) thriving careers, which is why I asked them to be in my book. You know, and I certainly like, you know, people like Cheryl Strait and Roxane Gay and Jonathan Franzen are doing just fine before and after Scratch magazine and Scratch the book. But um, But I, it has been really cool to see particular people who were who had their first books come out, like people who I know are gonna who I knew were gonna have a book out, but their book wasn't out yet. So people like Sarah Smarsh and also Megan O'Connell, mm. his book, and now we have everything came out this year. Yeah, which is a memoir sort of about motherhood. Yeah, it's really great. You might not connect to this specific topic of writers and money, but her book is amazing, and I think does a really amazing job of like sort of connecting with the realities of you know, yet another topic that we have all these sort of myths and expectations around Mm. that, you know, those things are both fulfilled and completely ridiculous once you actually become a writer or once you actually become a mother or whatever it is, you know. So I think, you know, as I said, in terms of like the folks who were in that book, it's just really cool to see the way they've like continued to form their own careers, you know. Some of those people continue to teach as their day job, people like Roxanne, but also like, you know, people who are slightly less famous, um, who are in the book, like, uh, Nell, I, I'm about to mess up her name because I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but Nell Boschenstein is a teacher. There are some amazing folks in the book who, who continue to sort of navigate that in really interesting ways. So it's kind of cool to have that class of people, the class of scratch, just as like object lessons, both for myself and out there in the world, you know, because I think the main thing that I figured out from doing that book is that everybody has their own way of doing this job. Mm. And I think that getting to hear and edit and, and develop all these people's stories with them about how they navigate it just really drilled that into me, which is like everyone has their own strengths and everyone and weaknesses. Everyone's coming from different places economically, socially, you know, different family setups, um, different regions, et cetera, different classes, different like considerations of privilege or oppression. And I think that like, while we can all find commonalities and it's fun to, and informative to like learn about other people's experiences doing this job, 
there's a lot of uh, comparison that writers do between ourselves and others mm-hmm. for better or worse. And I think it's really informative to just sort of step back and like check out everyone else's stories and everybody, what everybody else is doing and realize that like, Oh yeah, I too have my own thing that I'm doing. And it might be different than what, you know, Cheryl Strait is doing, or it might be different than what Rachel Maddox in Georgia is doing, you know? And so I think that, Sort of, sort of, as far as like overall lessons learned, I think that was huge for me just personally working on this project was just really sort of affirming that like I, I have my own way of doing things and everyone else has their own way of doing things and there's room for all of us to figure it out. That was one of the things that I really loved about the book as it when I finished it, I really did sit back and think, you know, maybe it is okay, maybe I can do this. Because as you like you say in the introduction that, you know, everyone has to everyone has to learn to navigate the balance for themselves. And it was just it is really great that that there was such a variety of of stories. And the fact that you talk now about how, you know, a couple of years in people have gone on to more success or maybe they have changed or maybe they have continued in their other career, their quote day job careers. Um, And so it is fascinating to to see, I guess, kind of follow-ups of how people's careers evolve and change. Yeah. And I mean, I would count myself in that group as well. Like at the time that I started Who Pays Writers and then Scratch, like I was freelancing full-time. And during the time that I was making the book, I got a full-time job, um, which was the first sort of like salary job I'd had in probably six or seven years. And so, you know, I also sort of, my circumstances changed during, during the making of this book. And I think that like, the person that I was at the beginning was asking maybe different questions than the person that I am now. And that's fine, you know? Yeah. Well, and so we talk a lot about, I think just in general humans, we tend to, we tend to focus so much on like, what is the right, or maybe this is just me. What is the right choice? And (laughs) the idea that you make a choice and then you don't change your mind. And I think there's, there's more like social things in there, especially as women, you know, the, the whole thing about, making fun of women for, oh, there she goes changing her mind because she's a woman and she's flaky. And and there's that whole, Mm. um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. There's kind of a, I don't know, almost this expectation that women are going to change their minds, but it's not a positive thing. And so I wondered if, if maybe you could talk a little bit more about making that switch from freelance writing to a day job and, and sort of how that, how that worked for you and how that worked for your creative life. We've talked to several people who having a day job really helped and working freelance was terrible for their creative lives because they were so concerned about money all of the time. Um, But it works really Mm -hmm. well for others. So I don't know, maybe you could talk about that process of your circumstances changing and and giving yourself permission to change what you were doing. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, first of all, I should say, which, you know, if you read my essay in scratch, like I've had like 400 jobs. (laughs) Yeah. That was so great. The list. (laughs) Um, And like, that's something that, you know, I'm perhaps a little bit too proud of. Like, I don't see that as a negative. Although if you, maybe if, like if I, if I wrote a resume that had all of my jobs on it, it would be insanity <laughs> and no one would ever look at it twice. But like, and you know, those jobs, you know, are anything from like crappy service jobs to like, you know, office jobs or quote white collar jobs. And or pink collar jobs also are in there. Definitely been a secretary. <laughs> and I think that like, so that's something that I think just because I was the kind of person when I was young who like 
didn't really care about the proper way to do things and for various reasons and like was just going to sort of try to find my way. I got very good at sort of changing my mind and that actually became like a, a, a part of my identity and something that I'm kind of proud of in certain ways. And I think that like that was very helpful to me in terms of my writerly career because it, it helped me sort of understand that like things ebb and flow and there are different times for different things in one's life professionally. It also probably hurt me in some ways because I wasn't sort of building a steady track or a steady path. You know, um, I did journalism in New York in the nineties and then I quit and didn't do anything until like 2010. <laughs> um, and so I find myself that, you know, a lot of people who I consider my like peers in terms of like the level of career that we're at are 10 years younger than me mm. because I took 10 years off, you know, and that's fine. It is what it is, but it's something that I sometimes feel insecure about, you know. But I think that, like, overall, like, writers are very hard on ourselves in very weird ways, mm -hmm. which is a skill that we sometimes have to develop for our work. Um, but I just think that, like, at heart, like, ours is a profession that is, like, kind of outside of the mainstream in various ways, like it is the job of the writer to sort of reflect the world, not to sort of lead it, you know, and through that reflection, then you can change things or whatever. I'm not saying that it's, you can't be a leader, but like, so I think that in some ways the expectation that like you would have some sort of like steady career that is like a ladder that you climb from rung to rung and then it supports yourself and then your family and then you achieve success with a capital S at some point, like actually just doesn't make sense if you're an artist or a writer because that's actually not our role in society. Mm. So there's that sort of like big picture philosophy that I have. <laughs> and then there's also just sort of the reality of the experience that I've had, which is like, I think for me, having a freelance job was really great in all the ways that one might think it is. Like it was flexible and I could say yes or no to things and I could kind of like take off and go on a trip if I wanted to. But at heart, like I am a person who is anxious about supporting myself because I spent a lot of time struggling to support myself when I was younger. And so for me, not having, not knowing where my next paycheck is coming from and not knowing when it's coming was very, very stressful and very, very difficult. And I think once I was able to sort of like figure that out about myself, like the hustle doesn't get me high. I can do it and I can be good at it because I'm like an intelligent, skilled person, but like, I don't love it. You know, it doesn't like have that like fire for me, you know? And so I think once I figured that out about myself as a writer, I was able to sort of think like, oh, what if I was not hustling? Like, what if I knew how much money I was going to get paid every two weeks? <laughs> and coincidentally, at the same time, I got this sort of like amazing opportunity to work at Zoetrope All Story, which is one of my favorite literary magazines and has a staff of two people. So one would never sort of expect that you could get a job there. Um, but through connections and circumstance, I ended up becoming their managing editor and so it wasn't the kind of job that I was going to say no to, period, right. you know? So I was like, all right, I guess I'll just try this now. I think I've been doing a full-time sort of very high involvement, you know, publishing job for the last almost three years now, it's been since I got this job. And so now I'm sort of struggling with the difficulties of 
having a full-time job and trying to do creative work, you know? <laughs> um, and so you don't have that hustle, but then also you don't have as much time and you don't have as much, and you have more restrictions on your time. And also sometimes you're just fucking tired <laughs> at the end of the day working, you know? But for me, I think, you know. Well, and you're in a writing adjacent job, which makes it hard to yeah. do your own writing, I think. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've done, and I've gone back and forth on that. Like I've done copywriting too. I used to work as a copywriter for nonprofit arts organizations, like theaters and operas and places like that. And, you know, there's sort of one, one side of me thinks that it's, it can be great to write all day because writing is a muscle and the more you exercise it, you know, the more practice you're getting. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of me is thinking, feels like, oh, God, no, like the last thing I want to do when I get home is look at a computer and type things, you know, <laughs> and it's true, like, like working in a publishing job can be intellectually exhausting. I'm a I work, I'm the managing editor of the magazine. So I'm not actually editing the stories. So I think for me, I get to save that little part of my sort of resources for myself and my own work. And so that's like, a spot that I've found to be comfy is like working in publishing, but not in a strictly editorial capacity and not strictly writing because then it's like, Oh, I have a day job, but a lot of my day jobs that involves things that are not writing. Um, although I do, you know, read and submissions and that sort of, sort of things. But yeah, so that's the, that's the little balance that I found. But I think something I want to get a little bit meta if I can. Sure. <laughs> of course. I think something that's been a surprise and a challenge just for me specifically in my career is not that my day job has taken away from my creative work, which I mean, obviously all day jobs take away from your creative work. It's just a matter of figuring out how to surmount that. But um, for me, something that I've been thinking about lately is that I have done several sort of nonfiction projects that have delayed what I would consider to be my creative work, which is that I also write fiction. Like I've been working on a novel for the past several years and basically unable to work on it because I've been doing things like publishing an anthology um, and running who pays writers. And I'm, I'm working on another nonfiction book that's going to come out next year. That's another collaborative effort. So I am in this kind of funny position where like I have, I'm as of next year, I will have had two books out, neither of which I wrote the entirety of. <laughs> yeah. And neither of which I would consider to be like my true art, if you want to use a really pretentious phrase. And so I think there's something really interesting about figuring out how to navigate that too. Like all of those projects are on top of the thing that makes me a living, but they're also not all the same. You know, they don't all do the same things in my life and my career and they don't all require the same resources and they're, they're, they're different uses of my creative skills. I, can I ask a follow-up kind of related, obviously rooted in my own personal struggle, um, like all of our questions are, I guess. This is why um, we have the podcast but, secretly. <laughs> <laughs> we just ask people questions we want to know. Um, but going to that, I think that's really interesting. And I think a lot of people, in fact, like our listeners sometimes write in or make comments, like you're definitely most people have a day job when they start out writing of some sort. And then at the same time, people are constantly thinking, OK, what is the best way for me to build this career? Right. And so some of that might be like what you're talking about, like the anthology is a good way to build your career and credibility as a writer and your profile. Right. Or other things like 
you know, write a lot of whatever short stories. Okay, we kind of debunked that last uh, couple episodes ago, but but whatever. You know, like you need to do all these like little bits of short stories. And I mean, I'm in the middle of leaving and going back to or something my novel. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, oh, but it would be so much easier. I, it's easy for me to write nonfiction, so maybe I should just go after that nonfiction idea that I have, which I'm also really passionate about. And I think it's in a way hard to pin yourself down on the project that you think is your art or however you want to phrase it. I don't Do you have comments? Basically, that's just an observation. It's not really a question. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I have thoughts. I mean, I think, well, my sort of one piece of advice might be it's not easier. <laughs> um, like if, if like I often have thought that too, like, Oh, I'm just going to like publish this little anthology. It'll be way easier than writing a novel. It's not easier. You have to put yourself into your work. It's really hard. It's just hard in a different way, you know? And I think also people who move between fiction and nonfiction may have like different prejudices about one being easier, one being harder, um, in different ways for different, you know, genres. But that, I think that is really sort of a thing that I've learned is like, one is like, if you're going to do a project that, and if you're going to make a side project, your main project, like it's going to be your project. And if, if you're, at least if you're anything like me, you're going to want it to be really fucking good. So like, <laughs> you're going to put everything you have into it, you know? So there really isn't for me a moment where I'm like working on a, my nonfiction book and I'm waking up every morning to write in my novel because I'm working really, really hard on my nonfiction book and I want it to be amazing. And it has a contract and a publishing date, you know, and I think that's okay. I just think it's, it, it takes some adjustment of one's thinking. So I think that's one, one point to what you were saying. And then I also think like for me, Scratch was a side project that became a main project. And I definitely went into it without the intention of building it into as big a project as it became, it was sort of just a goof, you know, but there was a moment, particularly when I was thinking about like whether or not to close the magazine and whether or not to seek an agent and turn it into a book, or maybe I would sell it as like a, you know, subsection to another online publication. There were all these different sort of options I had available to me when I was thinking about ending the magazine. Um, and I was exploring them all and having sort of informative conversations with all types of people and probably driving everyone any crazy <laughs> trying to decide what to do. But like, there was a moment where I was like, okay, if I'm going to make this into a book, like, I do think that will be good for my career. And like, that is real, you know, and it was a calculated moment where I was like, okay, I think because ultimately I'm a person who wants to write books and not like run an online magazine, I would like mm. to make this into a book, you know? Mm. Yeah. And Scratch got me my agent, for example, you know? And so I think like it was a calculated decision and I think it is important to sort of pay attention for those things as you're deciding what to do with your precious, precious time. But I also think that like, I don't know, how should I say this? My attitude around doing those projects has been like, just to say yes, like, okay, this is the thing that is happening. And for some reason, the world wants to hear from me about this topic right now, you know, and like, that's really, really rare and really precious. And I'm not going to say no to that. Because I also want to do it, you know, like, I want to talk about this topic. And I want to ask these questions and create this community and like, create this conversation around it. 
But I do think that after you say yes several times to the thing that is not the thing you have sitting on your desk that you keep thinking about getting back to, like at some point you have to start saying no. Mm -hmm. And that's natural. That's like how it works when you're succeeding at what you're doing, right? It's like, it's the same with freelancing. Like you say yes to all the jobs you can say yes to, and then you figure out what you have the time for and what is the bigger payoff and what pays you better and what takes more of your time, but doesn't pay you better. And also included in that is like what you like and what you, you know, what feeds your heart. And then at some point you have too much work and you have too many offers (laughs) and you start saying, no, you get to choose your clients, you know? So like as a writer, particularly one who works between genres, meaning both like fiction and nonfiction, as well as like journalism and books, you know, like magazine journalism and books, whatever. A lot of writers do a mix of all of these things. I think it's it's very rare that someone is like, I only write novels nowadays. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, once you are a person who can choose between some of these things, like it's important to sort of check in with yourself, think about what you want, think about what you're good at, and then think about what the world is going to like help you do in whatever way. And decide. And sometimes that might mean saying no. And sometimes that might be saying yes. I mean, one of the things that I've that's happened with me since Scratch came out is I have a full-time job in publishing. I'm working on a nonfiction book, which is a gardening book. So like completely not literary. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool project, like kind of random, but makes sense if 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 I tell you the whole story. And then I also have this novel that I'm still trying to finish the first draft of by January 1st in my calendar. Um, (laughs) And I think like, you know, so one of the things that's fallen off for me is that I'm not publishing anything else. Like I'm not, I haven't really published anything since scratch. Like I haven't written any essays for publication. I haven't done any journalistic work. I haven't published any short stories, you know, and I can drive myself crazy being like, oh, my God, like half the people on the Internet don't even know that I exist because I haven't been publishing, you know, and is that bad for me? And is that bad for my career? And, and you know, am I just going to become like an old person who who doesn't publish <laughs> and then just has this like alleged novel that I'm working on, you know? But that's also just the reality of my situation. It's like I'm excelling at this thing and I'm excelling at that other thing. And like I don't have time to excel at the thing three right now. Yeah. You know. Well, so that's something that I have been thinking about lately, too. And the idea that and it it ties back into our our larger discussion of publishing and art and money. And it's at what point. I mean, I guess you just kind of, everybody just kind of has to know for themselves, right? But at some point, like, you do have to decide that the art, it's not that it's more important than the money, money, but, you know, at some point, the the financially lucrative or at least projects that do pay you a little bit do take precedence over the the long-term, long game of, well, I can spend a lot of time putting energy into this project and it may or may not pay off at the end, but it's worth it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, again, this is, like Olivia said, this is more of a, an, an observation than a question, mm-hmm. but I don't know, are there things that you tell yourself to, to get through that? Are there things you learned through your work on Scratch? And then I guess maybe that's maybe a larger even observation on the publishing industry in general and pay and, you know, the fact that 
writers do have to figure out a way to make a living, but also creating new things. Because if we, if all we did was, yeah. was pay bills, then nothing new would get created. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's There's the a question, lot in there, right? right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm just trying. I mean, it's, I feel like it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, do it for the love, not for the money. But I actually also think that's kind of bullshit because I feel like we should live in a world where artists can support themselves. Yeah. Um, and like, unfortunately, we kind of don't unless you're very, very lucky. Um, and I do think that like, I mean, I made $6,000 on Scratch and it was two to three years of almost full-time work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so like, let's be real. And it's, it hasn't earned out and probably won't. Um, everybody go by scratch if you haven't yet. But everybody <laughs> finds it in their courses that they teach. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not <laughs> And so like, that's just the reality of the publishing business as, as you were saying, you know? And I think that like, I mean, you were sort of talking about like, there's like, you know, there's making a living and there's sort of this long-term like making art and I guess I would also like to throw in like one other thing that we all have to juggle, which is there's also your life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, for the last, like last year, I had like a pretty serious health crisis for like, uh, it went on and on for like a year. Um, I had several surgeries in the course of several months and a lot of chronic pain and it sucked. And I remember like, you know, bitching at some point to my partner and just being like, Oh my God, like I have to do this and I have to do that. And I finished my book draft and that and that. And him just being like, dude, like you need to take care of your health, <laughs> you know? And like, that's like all you need to be doing right now is like resting. Yeah. <laughs> and while it's, you know, somewhat cliched, like I do think that like when we have crises in our lives, like that is sort of that moment where you have a realization of like, Oh, like, I actually need a good life and I need to like take care of myself um, separate from my work and also separate from my art. Obviously art feeds the soul, but like art doesn't actually make you better when you're sick, you know? (laughs) So I think like the thing that I've come out of that experience feeling is just like, I definitely have had moments of just being like the, the YOLO feeling of just like, being like, you know what? You only fucking live once, man. Like, and that is cheesy, but true. And so, you know, for me, I think at whatever point of crisis you're at, whether or not, whether it's work or whether it's your home life or whatever it is, like, I do feel like in decision-making, like there comes to be a point of crisis where at some point you just have to be like, you know what? YOLO, this is what I'm going to (laughs) do. And, you know, the world might not let you, and that's hard, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try, you know. I also just think, like, in terms of what you said about the publishing business and bringing in the sort of larger political sphere right now in the world, I think that, like, everything feels very unstable and very uncertain for most people that I know. Yeah, definitely. And so I don't blame anyone for any decisions they make around that, you know. Um, But I also think that that can be, in a way, somewhat freeing as writers because it's like, I don't know that when I finish my novel, anyone's going to buy it. Because I don't know that there will still be bookstores. (laughs) You know, whatever. (laughs) 
literally do not know what's going to happen, you know, and that's always been the case. I don't think that's actually different now than how it used to be, but I think it's, it's because we live in like turbulent times. I think we're constantly reminded of that. And so while that is scary and can suck, it's also just kind of a reminder that like, while it's important to build your career and think strategically about what you're doing, like ultimately you don't have control over whether or not anyone's going to read your book right now. Certainly not until you finish writing it. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're back at YOLO. I really like that, actually. <laughs> I mean, so you guys are both working on novels, right? Right. Yeah. And you both have full-time jobs. Yes. Well, mine yeah. mine varies because I also, um, I freelance, but I can, it just depends on what I'm feeling, I guess. I can make it full-time or not. Right, right. But I also have But you also have like more full-time and, family yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's so, like, I'm, if I could just flip it for a second and ask, like, how do you guys deal with that? Like, how do you sort of figure out how to prioritize the art thing when you have all this other 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 stuff going on? Well, we make podcasts about like how we're going to give up our novel and start something new. And then we immediately go back to our novels, for example. <laughs> Which, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much what we do. I mean, and you're right. You, you know, at some point you put things off and put things off and then you can't take it anymore. And you 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 just have a crisis or you you just say, I, you know, like you said, just fuck it. I've got to write this book or else I will die. And so you do for a little while yeah, and, and then you're like, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. And go back to your go back to your day job for a bit. Um. Yeah. And I think that also something I've learned for myself is like, I've got to write this book is a long term state of being. Yeah. Six years um, so far. If you're a person who also has other stuff going on, like, you know, I definitely have friends who have like turned out a book in a year and they're awesome and their books are awesome. But like, that's not my reality because I'm doing other things. Yeah. And that is, you know, that was what was so great about Scratch and the fact that it is an anthology and it does have so many different paths. Um, it really helps. Like I used to joke that the book was like MFA versus NYC versus IRL. <laughs> that was my like pitch joke. <laughs> <laughs> I like that pitch joke. No, I was just going to say the only other thing for me on that practical question is like, I'm still working out how I work best. So I probably don't get most of my words down by waking up every day, but waking up in the morning and doing a little bit is part of how I feel like a writer, even though I have a day job. And then I need to take like chunks of time uh, to make real progress because I just can't. I have a pretty intense day job though so but I think everybody has like we are back at everybody needs to figure this out themselves I guess yeah say so one thing I that really sort of was driven home from doing scratch is that like you don't know what's going on with other people's lives and other people's financial situation and like I think I have a I have a tendency to sort of compare myself to other people and my peers and be like oh well they're doing all this stuff and or oh they quit their job and they're writing full-time maybe I should do that but like mm -hmm. they probably have a way of supporting themselves that is not visible to me you know when that goes back into getting you know getting the the transparency in publishing or a little bit more transparency. Um, and the fact that, you know, you said like, this is how much money Scratch made. And that that's really rare that people talk about how much they get for their advance or they talk about how much um, they get paid for a piece. And um, that's, it's just a really important thing to do. And it's like, thanks for keeping that conversation going. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. I mean, I some people think it's crass to talk about money, but I don't. Well, people who have a lot of money <laughs> think it's crass to talk about money because, you know, that's who makes the rules about it. Or people who have very, very, very little yeah, money yeah. sometimes. Well, that, there's a lot of shame um, in that, so. Yeah, there's, you know, I mean, there's nothing like money to get at your sticky issues, you know, as a human. It, that's pretty much it. Like money, sex, and like having a home are like the things, you know, <laughs> that push every button in everyone. Well, money is just such an easy, it's like an easy shorthand for success, right? Because it's quantifiable. Um, right. So I was going to ask if you had any other questions, because I know we're running, um, running up against our time. I just wanted to give you a, ch- a chance to talk about your gardening book if you want to. I'm really curious now. So, but yeah, yes. sure. Um, so in my other life, my father is a somewhat renowned organic gardening expert. That's very cool. It's very cool. He works at the University of California at Santa Cruz. Um, and they have a working farm and garden there. And they have a, an apprenticeship program that's been going since the late 60s, where people come and live on the farm for six months and like from plant to harvest and learn all about organic gardening and farming. And the people who have done this apprenticeship, like at least in California, like if you go to the farmer's market, like nine out of 10 vendors, someone who started that farm went to this apprenticeship. Like it's been a really sort of foundational thing, particularly in the organic food world. And this was, you know, this started like decades before there was even, you know, before like farm to fork or anything like that. Or, you know, decades before there was like an organic section at Safeway or anything like that. So like my, my dad has been working in, and, and teaching other people how to garden in that program for 40, more than 40 years. And he's a brilliant and literate man and always wanted to write a book. And so at some point we decided that we should write one together. Initially it was going to be like, I was going to be like, Oh, I will help you with your book proposal. And then it turned into, I'm the co-author of the book. <laughs> um, so my dad and I are writing a gardening book together. It's called Fruit Trees for Every Garden, and it's about how to grow fruit trees. And it's an actual gardening book, as and it you know also has some sort of like fun, interesting history of apple holes and stuff like that laced throughout it. And it'll be out, God willing, in early fall of 2019, and from Ten Speed Press. Very cool. My grandparents had a peach yeah. orchard, so that's um, oh, cool. really exciting. Okay. Yeah, I'm pre-ordering yeah, that as soon there. as I can. <laughs> yes, I don't know if it's available yet, but yeah. um, soon it will be. We're just finishing up copy edits. That's where we're at. And I spent all weekend working from nine to, you know, eight on copy edits. <laughs> so talk about thing, day job and side gig. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> My stepmother, my dad's wife, is an amazing artist, and she's doing a series of etchings of fruit and birds for the book, so it's going to be really pretty. That is cool. That sounds lovely. I can't wait. So yeah, we'll definitely be, we'll publicize it obviously later when when you can pre-order, but it sounds really exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and it's been very interesting to sort of work in an area of publishing that is like not literary publishing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm learning a lot. Well, and so that's really interesting because a lot of writers are given the advice to be kind of rigid about their personal brand and, you know, what what they get known for. And you definitely really got known for the money and publishing (laughs) thing. And now you're making this like big switch. And 
I love that you're willing. Neither of which are like my main thing right. in my mind. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, it seems to be working okay and fine. You know who I think is the writer that has the best personal brand is Rebecca Solnit. Yes. Ugh. I was going to say Rebecca Solnit. She writes about whatever the hell she wants to write about. Like she wrote a book about Edward Moybridge. You know, she writes about art. She writes about culture. She writes about politics. Lately, you know, she has become much more famous for her like essays that are primarily political. But if you look at her catalog of books and she's published like, I don't know, 15 books or something, the topics are vastly different from one another. And the common thread is her and her work. Obviously, like a gardening book and an anthology and a novel are very, very different. Like she's uh, she's working within the genre of narrative nonfiction. But I, I've always really just admired her career for that way, because I just feel like she's a person who's like, I want to write about this and I'm going to make it cool. And then she does, you know. Yeah, I like that. I also like Teju Cole, who does like photography essays and photography himself, plus novels, plus lots of other things. Yeah. I mean, there are also like genre folks. Like, do you know the writer Amy Stewart? Uh, girl meets or girl with girl with gun girl with and girl waits with yes, gun. That that's series the of detective novels. So her previous books, she also wrote. I forget the title. You look it up and put it in your show notes. Hopefully, yeah. though, um, a book about uh, she she wrote books about botany that are kind of like cutesy botany books. So she wrote a book about like plants that you can use in mixed drinks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) which is like nothing like a detective novel you know um so it is people do do it and it is oh the drunken botanist that's what the book is called oh great book yeah and then she wrote some other ones about like interesting bugs and interesting flowers and she had a whole series of these kind of botany books um before she had this best-selling mystery series she's also a, a bookstore owner interesting lady but yeah so I think like it it does happen and it is out there and ultimately I just think that like when I finish my big literary novel which is very like capital L literary (laughs) like if an editor is gonna like look at the book and then be like oh well this person also writes gardening books I don't want this novel like that's not the editor for me yeah yeah like I think I do think that like in some ways it can be perceived as negative to like genre hop or do different things, but I also just don't care, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. And that's encouraging because the two of us, um, my manuscript that I'm working on is a young adult novel, but I am also researching an adult like literary his historical fictiony kind of, but literary book. And, you know, we have this interest and Olivia has a, really cool nonfiction um, thing that she's working on and as well as her novel and the idea of not like you said about Rebecca Solnit, you know, the, the through thread is you and your own interests in your own mind is definitely, I think that's, that's what we naturally gravitate towards. And so, and maybe that's just one of those things where it's like, this is publishing advice you should ignore. Um, Cause if you don't like it, you will not write well about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, you know, the downside of publishing in different genres is like in each of those worlds, you have to build an audience and you have to figure out how to market your stuff, you know, but I like marketing and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And so I'm just going to do that, you know, and like, I love the fact that like, my dad, I think is a great example of that as a co-author, because like, in certain circles, he's like rock star famous. 
Yeah. <laughs> but like 99.9% yeah. of the world has never, ever, ever, ever heard of him or even understands what he does, you know? <laughs> yeah. But in many ways, that's sort of like an ideal audience to build for selling a book, right? It's like you have mm. a small group of very dedicated fans who are then going to evangelize for your title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very dedicated fans who have their own platforms, you know, like people who run farms or farmers markets or people who teach gardening and that sort of thing. And they're going to evangelize for this book. So I think like, you know, that's something that like when I'm in that world, I'm, I'm keyed into that. And then when I'm not in that world, it's like not even visible to the rest of the world, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of beautiful in some ways. Yeah. I like that as an analogy. So thank you very much for your time. It's really great to talk to you. It's really wonderful to hear everything that you said. Yes, I agree. Thank you. I love you guys' podcast and I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you. We really, it's really kind. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rinkaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.